about everybody and no one can whoop him. Only last week, I murdered a rock. Angela Stone hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. Yo, yo, what's going on, guys? It's your boy Chris coming at you with another episode to the Beautiful Struggle Podcast, and this is episode number 71. And if this is your first time tuning into the Beautiful Struggle Podcast, this is the personal development and a business podcast all in one. So if that sounds like something that's interesting to you, please feel free to subscribe and uh, tune in. We drop a new episode every single Monday of the week. Uh, with that being said, we have another phenomenal guest on the podcast. He has an amazing story and he's really doing some amazing things in business and inside the community. Uh, very intelligent young man. Uh, you really want to uh, grab a notepad and, and a pen for this one and pay close attention because I know he's going to drop a lot of wisdom and game for you guys. Uh, before I, before I uh, bring him on, uh, a little bit about my guest. He is the founder of Shine Hard Family, CEO of Bailey Media Group, um, also a Grow with Google digital coach, and we'll dive into what exactly that is a little later on. He's also a speaker. Most importantly, he's a husband, and he's also a father. Welcome, Johnny Bailey. My man, what's going on? I appreciate the, the wonderful yes. introduction. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How you doing, man? How were your holidays? Man, holidays were great, bro. I was really focusing on self-care. I unplugged. Um, I had a birthday on the 18th, Christmas on the 25th, and then New Year. So I had three back-to-back -back weekends kind of off, and it was wow. lovely, man. And I bet you enjoying your time with your, your, your little baby girl as well. Oh, bro, these are <laughs> golden moments, man. Like, they're just priceless. Yeah. And I just take pictures and videos and try to just capture every experience that I can. Absolutely. How old is she now? She's 19 months. Wow. Okay, she's getting big. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Man, with, with that being said, uh, I would love to dive into you. I always like to start off the podcast with diving into my guest's background and their story and really where, where they grew up at. I know you said that you're from uh, D.C., but you can go, at it, go ahead and kick it off with your background and you growing up. Sure, bro. Well, I'll try to uh, keep it short, not bore you too much with all the details, but I'm actually from Petersburg, Virginia. Um, and, um, I would, I would probably say in summary, uh, only child raised by my grandmother, Petersburg is a lower socioeconomic, uh, city, predominantly black. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't make it out of there. You know, I, I come from a military family. My grandparents are military. My dad was in the military for, um, about five years. Mom and dad got married around pretty young, around 21, married at 20, had me at 21. And then they split up about a year after I was born. So uh, my dad was in uh, Georgia. My mom was in Colorado. And that's kind of how my journey began, you know. Um, mm. So I spent the first half of my life, like, well, first six and a half, first six years of my life, seven years in Colorado, living in Denver with my mom. And then... I spent probably from elementary on back in Petersburg with my grandmother. And, um, you know, that was really um, my journey as an only child. I, I remember flying on airplanes from Colorado to Virginia by myself as like a six year old um, mm. for the summers, you know, and like people will be very impressed by that on the plane. Like, oh my gosh, like, where's your mom? Where's your parents? And it would just be me in the chair and coach like what you know right on an airplane so uh even from a so from a very young age i had like a certain level of courage and independence that was kind of thrust upon me and um i think that's kind of stuck with me through yeah absolutely that's funny because when i was young uh it wasn't as far as a distance as as, as colorado into you said st petersburg but um when I was a kid, I was living in Oregon, Portland, Oregon for a while, and I would always hop on a plane. I was probably like eight, nine years old and going to L.A. by myself. And the same thing, you have a little bit of like independence and you like, OK, I can do this on my own. I'm a little kid, but I can do it, you know. So but that's impressive. You were only six years old. That's crazy. So do, where did you go to high school at? 
I went to high school in a city called Colonial Heights in Virginia. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. What's, what's interesting about my high school is that in Petersburg is an all black city. And I stayed in that school system from fourth grade all the way to eighth grade. And then uh, eighth grade, I moved to Colonial Heights, which is a neighboring city, but it's an all white town. So that school was predominantly white. So I went from this all black school to this all white school. And um, that's kind of how I transitioned into high school, which was a kind of, it's very interesting navigating both communities. And um, that was like the first step of like culture shock for me. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 14, my mom passed away. Mm -hmm. And that was devastating for me as a 14 year old kid because she took her own life. And mm -hmm. I did not understand what it meant or what, you know, how that was even possible. But uh, it, you know, took a, a major toll on me that year. Um, but what I did to cope with mm -hmm. that experience was I poured myself into sports. Mm. And I think a lot of people, when we deal with grief, we all have to find our own coping mechanisms. And hopefully those are healthy things that we can right. kind of pour into. Some people fall into, you know, drugs and alcohol, and that's what you don't want to do. But for me, I just poured myself into sports. So I was a four sport athlete. I played football, wow. basketball, baseball, baseball, and I ran track. Um, and that was like around the clock, you know, fall season, winter season, uh, spring season, I was actively playing some type of sport. And in summer, we went to the courts and hooped all, all summer too. Um, so what that really translated into was earning a scholarship to Hampton University um, for track and field. So I ended up be becoming a state champion in long jump, triple jump. And that, by the grace of God, get, earned me a scholarship because had it not been for sports, I may not have even went to college or maybe end up at a local mm. school that maybe wasn't, um, yeah. you know, kind of really changed my trajectory. How were you as a student? I wasn't a great student. Okay. You know, I was probably like a 2.9 type of student who like did, who did just enough to get by. You know, <laughs> like by. I, I was excellent at sports. And so that gave okay. me fulfillment and like identity and self-worth where I knew that I was talented. And it wasn't that I was a, not a smart guy. Mm -hmm. I've always been a smart kid. I've been street smart right. and I've been book smart. But I just didn't really didn't apply myself to, to school, to academics. And I, I don't know. I don't know what I was then, but looking back now, I feel like something innately inside of me knew that the system wasn't set up for me. Mm. And I didn't necessarily need all of these things to be successful. And I don't know why I felt that, but my actions showed that, right? Looking back and I evaluate my, my four years in high school, it was like my actions show that I knew that I was going to be successful even without being an A student. Got you. And so when you went to college, what did you study? In college, I studied sport management. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I started off. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say at that time, is that something that you're going to college? You're going to be your athlete? Um, are you looking ahead like, okay, I love sports, I'm going to get into sports management or looking further down where you're like, no, it, it's going to be some type of entrepreneurship thing. Uh, what were you thinking back then? Well, at that point, it was go for what you know. Mm, gotcha. And sports, me coming from four sport athlete, understanding that industry, watching games, watching, you know, always being consumed by sports. It just felt like that was somewhere somewhere where I could have success. But I did feel kind of um, it was a bit mystified as to what I should major in. Got you. You know, I didn't have, uh, my dad wasn't really around. I mean, my parents were in and out of my life for the entirety and my mom was gone and my dad ended up, he actually had mental illness after the military. So around those years, he was kind of like in and out of the picture. So, and I didn't have any real mentors or any cousins that were at that time, like, yo, mm -hmm. we're gonna put our arm over your shoulder and let you know how to navigate this thing. So. For me, a lot of it was just trial and error, mm -hmm. um, making decisions and trying to make it work. So I chose sport management, um, had better grades in college, still running track and field um, collegiately. And 
you know, had, su had success on the track, had success academically, um, still A and B student. And then I graduated into that mm -hmm. space uh, wanting to be an agent. So I started my career off wanting to be a sports agent. Mm -hmm. But that was 2008. There was the Great Recession. So my generation, my class came into this era of like hard to get jobs. Um, yeah. Real estate is just just like dismantled um, and there's like no one's hiring. So um, on top of that, the sports industry is really hard. So for me, I was working at Dillard's, I was working at DTLR, and then I was even working at Sprint, which is actually one of my favorite jobs in life. And I can tell wow. you why. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it kicked off for me. I didn't get my big break until uh, I was working at Sprint and I ended up getting my foot in the door as, as a sports or in a sports agency. Got you. So talk about why Sprint was one of your favorite jobs. So I was in a place where I felt underemployed mm. throughout those years working in retail. And I actually landed that Sprint job on Twitter where I was following. I went into the Sprint store, met some of the people that worked there. They followed me on Twitter. I followed them back and then I started, they tweeted like about an opportunity at Sprint and I, I, fo I followed up with them and ended up getting a job um, at Sprint because I hated the retail. So I was like, let me work at Sprint a little bit more technical. Um, mm -hmm. So I was a technician at Sprint and long story short, why this experience was the best position because I was a technician at Sprint. My job was to fix phones. And at this time it was like uh, Android's and Samsung's mostly iPhone wasn't really as big and maybe like 2010. And, um, it was a great job because working at the sprint store, people don't, don't realize, or maybe you do is that you come in contact with a lot of different people, right? Right. You know, you're like the hub of a lot of traffic. So for me, I was one challenged because I was dealing with like people who didn't either a didn't know how to use their phone that well and thought it was broken or B, just broke their phone and it was up to me to try to like fix it. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe some phones were just actually malfunctioning. So I had the challenge of like customer service, um, critical and technical thinking, you know, engineering to a sense. And then also just meeting so many people mm -hmm. uh, really helped my personal communication and business communication skills. Um, Cause I got a lot of opportunities. I actually started my first hustle, side hustle at that place fixing the okay. screen under the table, but you didn't hear that from me. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I learned just a lot about business and I actually had a Google voice line. I mean, I kind of just oh, wow. became an, I was always an entrepreneur at heart. And that was my first time taking a step out to actually do something entrepreneurial and make real money. Yeah. No, if I can say this real quick, it's funny because a lot of people, when they work their jobs, they go into their job like, man, I don't want to be here. I ain't learning nothing like this, that, and the fifth. But it seems like with you, that was the situation you were in. So you were going to take full advantage of your situation. You were going to learn as much as possible about business. You're going to be creative. You're going to find ways to make money, uh, start a side hustle. So I love that you, you had that mentality of like, look, uh, I'm going to go into this to see what I can get out of this and get the most out of this situation and learn and interact with people and improve my communication. So I definitely love that. Mm -hmm. Hey man, what Jay Z say? Put me anywhere on God's green earth, I'll triple my worth. Hey, there we go. <laughs> yeah, bro. So it. it was cool, and I knew that wasn't the end for me. You know, I was yeah. working that. It's almost like you know, like you just said, you just got to make the best of your situation, and God, the universe, will make room for more. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, from working at Sprint, what was the next thing for you? Uh, at this point, you know you're destined for more and to do more. What was that next step for you from transitioning out of uh, Sprint? Or maybe what was the next job you had? Yeah, well, while I was working at Sprint, I was still actively pursuing sports opportunities. Okay. So I was, you know, applying for Nike, applying for agencies, um, just trying to get on a professional team, whatever I could do to get my foot in the door, I was actively applying. Um, but what I did do to kind of, make better use of my time as I decided to go back to grad school. So I en ended up entering into Virginia State to get uh, a marketing degree, uh, master's in marketing, 
while I continue to do the job search. So I figure if I'm going to be here working underemployed, I might as well have a degree, a master's degree to add to beef up my, my resume. So I was working at Sprint, getting a master's degree. And then I finally got a tweet, another tweet that from a sports agency that they were hiring. Um, and so I quickly followed up with them with my resume and got an opportunity to interview at this agency called uh, Corporate Athletic Management at the time. Well, right now, now it's called Paramount Sports and Entertainment, but then it was CAM. And um, it was in Norfolk, Virginia. So it's about two hours away from where I was living in Petersburg, Colonia Heights. Mm -hmm. um, went out there for an interview, did a pretty good job, had to create some really great, like had to create a nonprofit organization for one of their players, a mock thing, which was mm -hmm. great practice. Ended up getting the job and it was an internship. Um, but the caveat was I had to be out there at least two days a week mm. and knew I was in school. So me being, me, me being like the crazy Spartan person that I am, I'm like, shit, nothing's gonna stop me from getting my foot in the door in this right. industry. This is the opportunity. So I literally was working at the sports agency on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I would drive back um, the next the next day and go go to work at Sprint and then go to class at Virginia State for marketing. So I was like a year and a half. I went back and forth. I was doing that. Luckily, I had a girlfriend who lived in Hampton, which is right in between Norfolk okay. and Petersburg. So I would crash yeah. at her spot, you know, do the boyfriend thing and then go either way I needed to go. So that was a really crazy, crazy experience. But um, I wouldn't change it for the world because I learned so much. I actually recruited my first client um nba client while i was working there what was maybe like uh something really critical that you learned in that in that process in that time man that's a really I know good you question. probably got i know you probably got a bunch of them but like what was one thing that stuck up to stuck out to you that you learned the most that um you really can't control what happens but you gotta listen to the universe. The universe will actually send you signs as to what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go, if you are aware and you pay attention. And I say that because I met this one kid while I was working at, actually, I skipped this whole part of it, but I'm not even gonna go back. I actually got an internship with Nike before I worked at the agency. And while I was at this Nike internship, I was basically, um, doing design sessions at nationally ranked high schools, basketball teams. Mm -hmm. I was, I met a bunch of blue chip guys, Jabari Parker, who are like a bunch of guys around that era that were mm -hmm. ultimately going to be NBA players. And I started to connect with some of them because I knew I wanted to still be an agent. So I was like, right. kind of like building relationships mm -hmm. on the side while I was doing the Nike gig. So fast forward to the internship at Nike being over. Now I'm at the agency with some contacts at Nike and some, some blue chip high school kids set me up really nicely. And it was all to me, it was all like kind of coming together. I'm like, okay, I see how this could work out for me. So I started, I had a, a, a great relationship with one kid, basketball kid. He was a top 15 in the country, ESPN, McDonald's all American, Jordan all American. And him and I text all the time, a kid named Mike Abongo. If I see his face, I probably know who you're talking about. He went to the University of Texas. I mean, keep in mind, okay. this is like 2012. This is 2011 through 2013. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Um, but um, him and I had a good relationship. And, you know, he knew that I had interest in, in representing him as a manager agent. And he kind of just, mm -hmm. you know, he respected my my hustle and my business acumen. So... I supported him. You know, I used my own money to basically travel to North Carolina to then play UNC, to see them play UCLA. Um, and ultimately, when he played at home um, in Texas, some shit came down where he basically got in big trouble. Um, they said, NCAA said they took money from an agent, Rich Paul, who was LeBron's, who is LeBron's agent, right. was basically going to be his agent too. And um, 
you know, he's good friends with Tristan Thompson. He just went out there to visit them and basically train. It wasn't even mm -hmm. you no know, funny stuff. It was really him just going to see his friend. And NCAA tried to make an example out of him. And he basically had to miss like 20 games of his sophomore season. Wow. Typically, a blue chip kid like him will go one and done. But he decided yeah, right. to come back and play for a second year to develop his skills and then go to the league. But that suspension hurt his, his draft stock a lot. It hurt his, you know, his development a lot as well. Um, so when he came back at the very end of the season, had a couple of good games, decided to, to, de to declare for the draft. Um, and that was that. He, mm -hmm. He's from Toronto. He called me and said, bro, I want you to come to my draft party. And that was like, that for me was like confirmation <laughs> that I was about to get in this business. Right. Because all the time we've been cool, when you about to get drafted, like you call the people you really rock with, exactly. you know what I mean? Right. So that industry is very cutthroat. So he could have easily been like, hey, bro, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll hit you when I, after I get drafted. Or, you know, he could have yeah. done that anyway. But he called me. I booked the flight, went to Toronto, you know, met his family, met his friends, having a draft party. Now, the way the universe is going to tell you where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do was that, he had a lot of speculation around where he would get drafted. Um, he started off as a blue chip, but then had a lot of turmoil, which kind of made him ambiguous as to where he would get drafted. And first round went by, he didn't get drafted. You know, everybody kind of like tightening up. The parties get a little quieter. Second round goes by, half a second round goes by. They get up, him, Rich Paul, his brother, his girlfriend, they get up and leave. Because it seemed like at that point, he wasn't going to get drafted. And he did not get drafted, which was mind-blowing because of who his pedigree, what his pedigree is. It just doesn't make sense. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, he was, I, I was devastated. He was obviously, you know, devastated. Um, but we all went back to his hotel and he was in pretty good spirits. He's a high-character guy, very positive guy. Even that, he wasn't even like flustered he was a very strong kid and he still is um but we all sat down we're basically in the lobby it's like dimly lit i'll never forget this dimly lit lobby we're all sitting there it's very somber mood it's you know me mike his girlfriend his his brothers um rich paul tristan thompson Corey joseph and we're all just sitting around like in the lobby just like talking and i'm like man i'm sitting here with these nba rich, guys rich, rich paul. paul yeah and it was crazy because I felt like that might be the last moment. It was the first moment and the last moment that I might actually be doing that. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, bro. And so I felt so fulfilled, but also like sad at the same time because I'm like, I don't know what the future holds for this. Um, and as the story goes, that was the last time. At that point, I decided like he went to the G League, he went overseas. And like, to me, I wasn't going to do that all over again. Couldn't afford to do that all over again. Um, so that was when I, the universe told me, pivot, that was, go a different that direction. Was the first and last. Wow. That's crazy. So you now you're at a point where you, you dreamed, you probably dreamt about doing this for a very long time. Where does one pivot to at this point where they, they felt like this is it. This is the first and last time I'll be doing this. Where did you pivot to? I went home, lived with my dad. <laughs> you like, I pivot home. <laughs> I went home for like six to months, bed. lived with my dad. I had like, I went all out, bro. I gave everything I had, you know, even my, yeah. my financial situation was like out there. So um, was living with my dad, uh, which actually was another great experience because my, like I said, my dad had mental illness for a while and he had just gotten like disability from the military. And so for him, that was important because it gave him like some stability. He basically had income to pay for his crib, his food, his health care, um, and had medicine to make sure he could stay like, you know, in a good headspace. So um, that for me was like a, a almost one of the first times since I was real little to actually live with him and be like, spend time with him on a day to day. So it wasn't all bad. Even then it was like some real some real special moments and quality time with my pops. But um, work-wise, bro, I was, I went home, I was down, but I was not out. I was reading, every, I was reading so many books, bro. I was listening, listening to so much audio. 
Um, I was still hitting up people at Nike because I have relationships. So I'm like, mm-hmm. let me just keep hitting them, applying for opportunities with Nike, get my foot back in the door with that. And that's ultimately what I did. I ended up getting a job as a Nike brand coordinator mm-hmm. at Dick Sporting Goods. Um, and then I flipped that to actually getting on full time at Nike in DC 2013. Um, and that was when nothing was the same. Mm. So how old were you at this age at this time? This was 2013. So I was probably 27, 28. So at this point, I mean, you mentioned early on that you didn't have really any mentors. So and, and a lot of times in our day and age, everybody recommends that you, you got to have a mentor. You got to have a mentor. And honestly, I kind of came up the same way as you did. I really didn't have a mentor growing up and didn't really have anybody to look up to. Like you said, it was all trial and error. Same thing for me. Um, so what are some of the ways that you got around that? What are some, because I know you mentioned you were reading a lot of books recently um, or in that time, listening to audio and whatnot. What are some other things um, that you were doing that you would recommend to people out there that may not have a, a mentor or somebody to look up to? What are some things that you would tell them to do um, You know, to keep improving on themselves? Mm-hmm. Well, one, virtual mentors. Yeah. That is gold. And in this day and age, in this era, there's so much free game online. There's so many great speakers, business leaders, personal development leaders that you can just subscribe to, tap into, and find that mentorship that you need. Um, that's really how I've gotten to where I am is this virtual mentorship, bro. I have so many dope people that I've listened to one being like Jim Rohn, who's somebody I really like, Les Brown, and this on the personal development tip. Um, they've really, they really kind of shaped me. Um, and then obviously books. Number two was just reading, bro. Like there's so many great books. Think and Grow Rich. Um, man, don't even get me started on books. Like um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, The Alchemist, all of those books. I love The Alchemist. Her personal development are yeah. transformative. And The Alchemist was really about paying attention to the signs in the universe, too. You know, and that book mm-hmm. really got me hip. So when that stuff went down with Mike in the NBA, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Because of The Alchemist, I realized that this was like a message that I needed to make another move. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. For me, um, mm-hmm. same thing, man. Digital digital mentors. Mine was Eric Thomas. When I was 17, 18, came across his video and I was like, boom, just changed my life. And we'll listen to him every single week. And it was like I was really he was like right there with me. You know what I'm saying? Like shaping my mindset and helping me. And I always say I'm going to meet him one day. I'm going to thank him for that because he for sure shifted my mindset. And like you said, uh, reading. They say all the answers are in, in the books. We just don't, especially from our communities, we just don't open up these damn books. Yeah, bro. E.T. is the truth. And if you had a dollar in a book, no one will ever find it. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's for more sure. Like you who are really going to get it. <laughs> yeah, really going to get it. We got a couple dollars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, all right. So, dope. You, you, um, you're at Nike now. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm thinking like, okay, what was the shift? from working a job to entrepreneurship? What was that shift that you were like, okay, it's time for me to go out and do my own thing um, and, and really provide for myself and, and be be an entrepreneur? Yeah, man. So I would say probably 2015, gotcha. 2014, 2015, I started to feel creatively stifled. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, working at Nike. I mean, I was doing some amazing things, working like global activations, uh, like Super Bowl, All-Star Weekend, World Basketball Festival. I was learning how to like activate these major events and learning how to integrate stories into mm. those activations and get consumer engagement. And so I, I actually was getting some really great experiences. Then also on the retail side, um, just learning about product and things like that. But it was very restricting and everything was like initiative driven where you just had to kind of follow directions and execute. And for me, I didn't have one, the role that would allow me to 
flourish and um, serve at my highest capacity. So when I would apply for those roles, I was get, getting beat out by like the white girl from Stanford or, you know, whoever someone had in mind that just wasn't me. And so I, I, I missed about two or three opportunities. And when one, what the breaking point for entrepreneurship is when um, the girl who was in DC who had this role called the Eakin, which is like pretty much like a brand expert in these different markets. And there's one in, in pretty much every major city and they're just like the brand experts to like help coach the stores on the product, help integrate with like local schools and, and host their own like personal events in that market on behalf of the brand. And that was the role that I really wanted because that kind of was, was my vibe. Um, and when there was the girl that was in DC, I connected with her and I wanted to help and support her. And I did that. Right. And I was, you know, plugging her in and, kind of leveraging my network to help her. And I realized she she would call me every once in a while and ask me kind of like for the answer. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't work here anymore. I'm like, cause they're not giving me my my shot. They're not giving me the the space I need to be my best self. So and it, like immediately I just started a blog. I went out, I went home that day, opened up my iPad with YouTube and then got my laptop and I just learned how to build a website. So I just step-by-step -step built a, a WordPress website and started a blog from there. It was called jbsfoodforthought.com. And I already had a pretty good social media presence through all this time. Um, always actively built, growing my personal brand. Mm -hmm. And I just took that personal brand from social and created some digital real estate that I owned and decided I was just going to create content, whether it would be like inspirational content, whether it would be um, kind of like a personal journal about my life, or I would feature other people to create visibility and uh, inspire the next generation, just like you're doing with your podcast. And so at first I was just a blogger. Um, and that's how I started my entrepreneurial journey. And I started to say, okay, I'm going to pour my energy into this as the outlet. For the frustration at Nike. Mm. So, what came first, Shine Hard Family or Bailey Media Group? Shine Hard Family was okay. Um, was really been doing the not, of the not to cut you off. Okay, not to cut you off. I was gonna say you've been you've been doing the interviews for it looks like five plus years or something something crazy, right? Yeah, bro. Yeah. I started doing the interviews in 2014. So part of the wow. blog was Shine Hard. It was. Mm. It was like food for thought, um, fruits of labor, and shine hard. And shine hard was the part of the blog where I would feature black millennials mm -hmm. to highlight excellence in different industry and kind of create a blueprint and a role model for others to follow. Because I know that we know that a major uh, impediment for black youth is visibility and representation. You know, we don't see opportunity. All we see is you, you play ball. You're in the streets, you go to the military, you know, or you, you know, get into some type of trouble. So that is an underrated factor into how successful someone can be. Um, so that was what that was like my way of kind of um, providing a solution for that problem. And that part of the blog just took off. Mm. So now talk about what uh, Shine Hard what the family has kind of transitioned to into uh, into today. Yeah, man. So consistency is everything, man. And yeah, I did, I did an interview every week for like 36 weeks in season one and in season two competition. Yeah, bro. I, I, <laughs> I was obsessed, man. I, once I had yeah. something that I felt like was really impactful and was liberating me from that frustrating place, because when I was at Nike, bro, I was sleeping, in the car during my lunch break, bro. Like I was like, mm. I was so depressed that I was just like, wow. I was like, I was depressed, bro. Like I just couldn't, yeah. I was frustrated, man. And I, I'd hated going to work and it's crazy to think that, but that's how I felt, but you couldn't, I couldn't leave my job, you know? And this also got me yeah. to DC and where I really wanted to be. So I felt, I felt very liberated by the fact that I could create something that I owned and that people were 
receiving it and it was inspiring people and it was working. Mm. Um, so I stayed consistent 2014, 2015, 2016, people started asking what type of organization is this? And I decided we would be a nonprofit. So we became uh, incorporated through DC and decided that our mission would be to close the racial wealth gap. And I thought about that because looking back at my background, I realized that the level of wealth and access that you have can really change the experience that you have in this country. So I wanted to show people how to acquire wealth, how to create income, um, and really just learn more about the wealth that we already possess. Because people really focus a lot on uh, financial when they think about wealth, but wealth is also like your history and your heritage, your family tree, mm. your ancestry. It's also, you know, creating uh, life insurance. It's also about creating a will or trust for your next generation. It's getting into real estate. It's entrepreneurship. It's personal development. There's so many layers to wealth that um, people just overlook. That I wanted to just show people how to comprehensively become a wealth builder. And, you know, that's what Shine Heart's mission has been um, ever since 2016. No, I absolutely love that, especially the part where you brought up consistency, because I see you, you have been through what I'm going through right now with bringing on guests every single week, looking to inspire people. So me, it's really inspiring to see you have done it and you have uh, uh, you have put out so much content and whatnot. Uh, for me, it's like it's, it's the same thing. It, it, there's a lot of parallels between from what I'm hearing and what I'm going through as well. Because um, I'm at a point I won't say it on the podcast, but I'm at a point right now where I'm looking to transition out of some things, and the podcast makes me feel liberated, makes me feel good, uh, makes me feel like I'm making a change into people's lives and into the world. And like you said, it's like this is where you want to invest more time into, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, man, I love that. It's, it's really interesting to see and, and talk to someone that has gone through what you're currently going through right now. So that's pretty cool. For yeah, sure. bro. It's a beautiful thing, man. Whatever you um, are believing in right now, it can happen, bro. Like whatever you feel like you're onto something and you have a bigger vision for what you're trying to do, it can happen. Like it really does you just got to stay consistent and yeah. really flip into where I am today. That work, building that blog, staying up hella late, all times of the night, working on content, planning and executing and marketing and scheduling shit on Hootsuite, all those nights where I'm like, there's no revenue, there's no monetary return mm. on any of this investment, energy and time wise. But I just knew that it would create a body of work that would be valuable that would become an asset to me in some form and i get the skills and the relationships so there was like Mm. always seeing the value in the tough situation always you know seeing the glass the glass is half full really um helped me navigate those really tough times um and me getting a role at google is greatly because of my work at Shineheart. Mm. So before we get into Google real quick, I'm curious, um, talk to us about the, conver- the the impact of the conversation that you had with all those different entrepreneurs um, on Shineheart. Um, and maybe maybe give the audience like a, a reoccurring characteristic that all these entrepreneurs had. What was something that you noticed that all of them had? Ambition faith, Mm. um, a strong belief in their value, their ability to make an impact, a desire to be more than they were currently. Um, You know, I interviewed, I've interviewed probably over 200 people over the last, you know, I guess five years now, maybe more if you talk, if you think about panels and all the other things. But, um, you know, when I first started Shine Hard, I took my sports industry background into that endeavor 
where, you know, as an agent or a coach, you got to recruit, you got to identify talent. You know, you got to yeah, see, yeah. you got to see something in somebody that they, other people just don't see. Right. Um, and that was kind of my secret sauce with Shinehart where I had a network of friends from Hampton or other schools. And then I would know people who were like the dope, the cool people, the successful people, the people who were like, I just saw something in certain people or whatever, you know? And um, my plan was to diversify an industry, but really highlight what I felt like was the nation's top black millennial leaders. Mm. Um, and a lot of them at that point were kind of just burgeoning out. Like they were just getting started. Um, so I would balance like, maybe you're not the number one black female actress out right now, but you are a black female actress who's, who's having success. So I want to feature you just to show people what the life of an actress looks like and the barriers that you're, you know, experiencing and how you're overcoming those struggles. Um, you know, maybe you're a, a journalist or sports journalist, or maybe you're a doctor or a plastic surgeon or a lawyer. Or I just was kind of um, battling between, not battling, but like delineating between some people who are up and coming, who are just phenoms or people who are already like pretty, pretty much doing their thing. And so I could kind of get a balance of both. And as you start getting more people, you can kind of build your resume where you know, oh, I know that person you featured last week. I rock with them. I rock the strength of them being on your podcast and your show. I definitely come on too. And so right. I started to build a really strong body of work of like this like-minded black millennial excellence, uh, high achievers, influencers. And uh, that really became the signature of the brand. So it, after a while, it, it became more of like, you know, People wanted, people wanted to be featured. You know, people will hit me up and say, hey, can I get featured? They'd be pitching to me to become a part of this like unique fraternity of individuals who have been on this platform. And when I got to that point, I'm like, yeah, this is, I knew that my work had paid off, you know? Mm -hmm. For sure. So you mentioned uh, becoming a Google digital coach. You want to talk to us a little bit more about that? Because I'm not going to lie, before you, I had never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, man. So the digital coaches program is really created to bridge the digital divide for mm -hmm. black and Latinx small business owners. Google has identified that um, minority groups like, um, well, underrepresented groups, I should say, like black, Latinx women are the fastest growing segment in entrepreneurs in the country right now, but they're greatly underfunded, undertrained, under-resourced. So as part of the early corporate responsibility or racial equity endeavors, the program was created. Um, and I was, I've been one of the coaches since 2019 in DC. Um, and what that really means as the DC digital coach is that I provide free workshops and trainings for small business owners in my market. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very serendipitous because back when I was at Nike, I wanted this role where I could kind of be the market ambassador and kind of host my own events and, and, and create and add value to the community. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to now, I'm working at Shinehart. Google taps me because I'm doing the work. I'm mm -hmm. using digital skills and digital products to host events for black and brown entrepreneurs. And um, I'm a business owner myself. And so mm -hmm. Google was looking for people like that in these markets. And I you know, was at the right place at the right time. So I've been doing this work since then. And um, really the mission is just to accelerate the black economy through entrepreneurship and through wealth generation. And some of the virtual workshops you offer are money management skills, using YouTube to grow your business, um, and learning Google ads. So I think that's pretty dope that you're, you're teaching uh, the community about those subjects for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I know we're, we're approaching 45 minutes here, man. Um, if you can quickly touch on Bailey media group, we didn't touch on that very much, but I'd love to know more about that and some of the work you guys are doing over there. Yeah, man. So that's my newest company. It's a boutique consulting agency where, I pretty much allow myself to contract independently where I have Shinehard, I have my role at Google. And from those two things, I'm being tapped frequently to move as a micro influencer for small businesses or big companies 
that have multicultural initiatives, um, small businesses that need consulting, or uh, organizations or um, business entities that need digital coaching. And if I'm, at, I'm being asked to do that, you know, when you're called to do it, you have to find a way to serve. And, you know, it's obviously an opportunity to, to create a stream of income. So yeah. that business was created to serve and fill that need um, mm -hmm. in my community and for my family. That's awesome. Couple more questions and we're gonna wrap this thing up. Um, fast forward it, we're gonna fast forward past 2020, uh, but I'm curious, uh, what are some ways that you have prepared for 2021? I know we're about six, seven days in. You know, what are some things that you have done to prepare for this year? Um, I know we're like six days in, but it's not, it's still not too late for other people to do the same and, you know, start this year off correctly. What are some suggestions you make to the people? Yeah, man, you got to set your goals and write them down. Mm -hmm. if you don't write it down. Your chances of it becoming real are decreased by 50%. Wow. By writing down your goals, you're 50% more likely to achieve your goals. And so that's the first step is just writing it down. I mean, honestly, like 80% of your goal is writing it down and the other 20% is executing. So what I did, and I do this every year, is I basically have a Google Doc where I just write down my goals in every area of my life. So it was like master business, master health, master relationship, master family, um, master behaviors. And then I have like a, a bunch of just tasks or goals for that year, whether it's qualitative or quantitative. Um, and those are just things I look at really, I write them down and I don't even look back at them. Like I've done this literally for like the past five years, copy, I, I kind of copy the document and just realign for the new year because it's new things and, mm -hmm. um, maybe bigger goals. But, um, that, is a beautiful thing because at the end of the year, so December, I actually pulled up my 2020 document and looked at it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. haven't looked at it for probably like 10 months and just kind of forgot right. about some of it. But I'm like, man, I, I you know, going down, you crossing stuff off. You're like, oh, wow. Like, man, I forgot That's I wrote dope. this down. It's like, it's crazy to see how you can accomplish things in your subconscious because my, I wrote it down and I put it somewhere and I just got back to work and I haven't stopped. You know, I've been literally doing everything that I could do. But even in this year, no one knew the pandemic would hit. No one knew that all this social unrest would hit and that brands would be thinking about black equity, racial equity, and, and that would be a trend. We knew none of us knew what was gonna happen this year. So for me, just the fact that I was still able to just accomplish so many goals. It, it speaks to the power of writing it down, man. Right. The universe made it happen. It wasn't even me. I just had to keep staying the path. Wow. Wow, that's dope. All right, so wrapping this thing up, man, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. Before I let you go, I always have my guests give the audience one last gem, one last piece of advice. It can be business-related, um, whatever, uh, life-related, uh, sports-related. If you can give the audience one last piece of advice, what would it be? And we can end it on that note. Well, I'm not sure exactly who your audience is, but I'm a black man living in an era where we can change the course of society. We can be revolutionary. And what I see on online is that, you know, people are waking up. Black people are waking up, people of color are waking up, and we have a different mindset about what it means to be black. So the the advice that I, I would leave with you all is the same advice I leave with all of my community members when I'm hosting Google sessions, Shine Heart events, is we all have a responsibility to become an entrepreneur, whether it's on the side as a hustle, whether it's getting into real estate, owning your home, um, I think that everyone should create an additional stream of income. And after you've started to create income for yourself outside of your job, the next thing that we have to do is buy black first. Hmm. That's how you support the community is how you allocate your dollar. So we know that our vote 
is our political, the, the ballot is our political vote. The dollar is our economic vote. So vote for people that you support and that support you. And lastly, lift as you climb. So remember that generational wealth is money, it's information, it's networks, it's access. So as you're growing as an individual or as a business owner, don't forget to reach back and invest in the next generation of young leaders that are just like you. And if they ask you why, let them know that we are the leaders of right now. Boom. I love that. Couldn't have said it any better, man. I love that. Where can people find you? Um, let them know your social media handles, any websites, where can people reach out to you and get some of the resources that you're putting out there? Yeah, man. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn at one Johnny Bailey. You can find me on Instagram at one Johnny Bailey. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Shine Hard family, just visit shinehardfamily.org or shinehardfamily on Instagram. Uh, Bailey Media Group is also Bailey Media Group. So wherever you want to find me, uh, I'm online. I'm not hard to find. Always happy to connect. I'm very approachable. And um, get at me, bro. Let's tap in. Let's make a change this year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. With that being said, uh, this was an amazing episode. I really appreciate your time. For the people out there listening, if you can do me a huge favor and just share this episode with one other person out there that may need to hear this, that would be amazing for me. Uh, with that being said, it's your boy Chris, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. That's right. I have wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in this. Was in the bed before the room was dark.